0: Well, God bless you and welcome to NETS session 12. It's the final session in this part of the series on the necessary equipping of truth. And tonight we're going to begin by getting into authority over evil. And we've spoken it a number of times, but in, in Mark chapter 16, verse 17, the signs of a believer are listed. Jesus said in his name, they will cast out demons, speak with other tongue, take up serpents, if they drink any deadly thing, it won't hurt them. And they will lay hands on a sick and they will recover. Now, there are those that try to take this literally and yet at the same time not take it biblically. In other words, for instance, to lift up serpents, is, says, is a sign of a believer. So it would be wonderful if we would do that. However, there is a biblical way of doing that and there is a literal way of doing that. They may not be the same. and. Yet I believe that we as believers, not just as snake handlers, can do that. I believe it's more in light of authority over the devil, in in light of biblically what you see uh, with Moses casting down his rod and then taking up that serpent. It became a rod again in his hand, which was authority and which was used over and over and over again to take authority over the principalities and powers with whom he was in battle. And we as believers can do that should do that. The Bible describes that we're supposed to do that and how we're supposed to do that. To handle a live snake can be done by most any boy. Uh, To handle snakes in certain ways that are poisonous can be done by snake charmers. They're not a believer necessarily, but to take up serpents in light of the spiritual battle takes the Spirit of God inside of a person with faith, a believer. Now, in light of authority over the devil and including casting out spirits. The Bible speaks quite a bit. In Ephesians 4, 27, it says we're not supposed to give place to the devil, not to give any room to him, not to give any ground to him. In James chapter 4, verse 7, he says to submit to God and resist the devil and he will flee. Now that's a promise. If we'll resist, he will flee. What it doesn't say is how long you have to resist and how far and how long the devil will flee. But he will flee. And if we will resist with the power of of the Lord Jesus Christ that's in us. Now, things that help us to, to resist the devil and to have authority over evil are submission to God and obedience. So a relationship, unity, agreement within unity, all those things help us to resist the devil and give us authority over him. In 1 Peter 5 through 9, Peter's talking to the to the leadership as well as to those that are in the congregation. And he says, There's a crown of glory available to all those that help to gather the flock, and to guide and to shepherd. And it says, he says, to submit ourselves one to another, and also for the younger to submit to the elder. He continues and says that God resists the proud. Even as we resist the devil, we're just doing what God does, because de- the devil was the first one to have pride. That's what made him fall. And God has been resisting him. So when we resist the devil, we're just following our father's example. But we don't want to be proud because He will also resist us until we become humble. So by being humble, we are in a position to resist the enemy and to resist evil. If we'll humble ourselves under the mighty hand of God, and I believe that's representative of the order of God's government and the fivefold ministry that is in Ephesians 4.11 of apostles, prophets, evangelists, shepherds, and teachers. That hand of God with those five fingers that are able to do that mighty hand of God If we'll humble ourselves, we'll bring ourselves into obedience, into relationship, and there will be unity and agreement and power and authority that comes and helps us to resist the devil and have authority over all evil. We have to be sober, vigilant, and we have to understand that the devil is our adversary. He's never on our side. He never makes a deal with us that's to God's benefit. If we'll resist him and be steadfast in the face, even when we suffer, then we will overcome. We will always come out on top. We will be the overcomers, which remember is an, is an attribute of one that has grown up in the things of the Spirit, is to overcome. Young men in the Spirit overcome the devil. Now, in Ephesians chapter 3, verse 10, it says that to the intent that now the manifold wisdom of God may be made known by the church, that's the corporate unit, to the principalities and powers in the heavenly places. Now, some teach that In the future, we'll have authority over the devil. In the future, we'll have authority over the principalities and powers. But this says, the intent is that now the manifold wisdom of God would be made known. Certainly, it's going to be made known in the future, throughout all eternity, after it's accomplished. By then, it will be history. But now, his intent is that we would show it forth by our actions and coming together as a unit. Even in John 17, Jesus talked about us being one as he was one with the Father, and then the glory would be revealed, which comes through us as it's already been placed within us through his Spirit. In John 1, excuse me, 1 John 3, 8, it says that Jesus' purpose in coming was that he might destroy the works of the devil. And we know he did defeat the devil on Calvary, but there's still the practical application being walked out by his people today. We are the body of Christ. We are the bread of God. And as we walk in obedience, as we resist the devil, then we are carrying out practically what Jesus did legally. He spoiled principalities and powers and made a show of them openly. Ephesians 4.12 says that we don't wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers, rulers of the darkness of this age, against the spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. Our battle is never against men. Our battle is never against flesh and blood. Although we may wrestle with our own flesh, because sin originates in our flesh, but the battle is not with people. The battle is with principalities and powers, with forces of evil, which affect people, which influence people. But we have to keep our mind in the spirit, because we don't battle as the world battles. We don't fight with the weapons of, of the warfare of the world. So therefore, if we're going to be believers in the Lord Jesus and have the results that he said believers should have, then we're going to have to believe what he says and what the scriptures say in light of how we wrestle and how we win. In Second Corinthians chapter 12, 7-9, the Apostle Paul says, that lest I should be exalted above measure by the abundance of the revelations, a thorn in the flesh was given to me, a messenger of Satan, to buffet me, lest I be exalted above measure. Concerning this thing, I pleaded with the Lord three times that it might depart from me. And he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you. Now there's many things spoken on Paul's thorn in the flesh, many things written, entire books written on what Paul's thorn in the flesh was. And certainly it's manifested in the natural world in a particular way, which was an attack upon him. But what exactly was that messenger of Satan? Most times it's related as sickness. Sometimes it's related as temptation. Sometimes it's related as attacks from people. But literally that word messenger is the word angel. A demon is an angel sent by Satan or from Satan's kingdom. A principality may be an angel. But it's a messenger of Satan. Angelos is the word. And this angelos of Satan was sent against Paul. And he prayed about it three different times. He went to the Lord and said, Lord, would you take this angel away? Take away this thorn in the flesh. And the Lord replied to him, My grace is sufficient for you. Now what God was not saying was, My grace is good enough, so put up with it. What God was saying was, You deal with it and use my grace. In other words... God is not going to do for us what He expects us to do with the authority He's given to us. As our Father, He has given us strength, He has given us spiritual abilities, and He has said, with your faith, you can use these things. And by your faith, you can access these things. And as we just read, Peter said, if you'll be humble, you'll get grace. If we'll receive grace, we can use that grace. Jesus defeated the devil by grace. Because when he willingly gave up his life, that grace was available for all mankind to come into salvation. Something that the devil never had counted on. Something that the devil could not understand because he has no grace. So we defeat the devil by grace, but it's by our action and by our will and by our faith. So when Paul was praying, Lord, take this angel of the devil away from me that's tormenting me. God's response to him was, My grace is sufficient for the job. He was saying, You have the ability to take care of it. And so Paul said, He'll glory in weakness because as you make yourself humble, you're making yourself weak before the Lord. As he gloried in weakness, he saw the strength of God manifested, but he had to take the action. When the devil rose up, Paul had to take authority. By God's grace, he was able to because Paul was a sinner. He was a sinner that was saved, but he was still a sinner. He had been a really bad sinner. Now he was a saved sinner, endeavoring to renew his mind, endeavoring to be perfected in the things of the Lord, endeavoring to walk and imitate Christ. But he was still a sinner. He still had that flesh that he had to wrestle with. And yet by God's grace, he was able to take authority over the devil. That wouldn't have been possible without Jesus Christ. The devil was legally able to take authority over those through their sins before this, before the cross. So Paul was teaching the church in Corinth and is teaching us that it's by God's grace that we have authority over the messengers of Satan that are sent against us. Another example in 1 Kings 19 is where Elijah, after having his great victory over darkness and over the priests of darkness, had a messenger sent to him By the queen. And it says, and he ran for his life when that messenger brought a message. But it also says that he was hidden. But yet, that queen dealing in witchcraft was able to send a messenger of Satan to bring that spirit of fear. And he ran for his life. Sometimes we run when no man pursues. Eventually, he took authority over that demon. It took him a while. We also, though, sometimes need to wrestle until we take authority, but nevertheless, we can do it by our faith through grace. But what, we, what won't happen is if we pray for God to do it. We can pray for His help, we can pray for His assistance, we can pray for His wisdom, but we need to rise up in faith and take a dominion over. Just as Joshua going into the promised land needed the protection of God, but they had to go and they had to take the land. They had to exercise the authority of God. God brought judgment, as you remember, on those people who said, we can't do it. God has given us authority over the works of darkness. God has given us authority over the kingdom of darkness. But we need to do it through His grace. You don't do it only by your will, but through His grace. Now, in Mark chapter 9, we've quoted from this record before, but let's read this record. In verse 17, One of the crowd answered and said, Teacher, I brought you my son who has a mute spirit. And whenever it seizes him, it throws him down and he foams at the mouth and gnashes his teeth and becomes rigid. So I spoke to your disciples that they should cast it out, but they could not. And he answered him and said, Oh, faithless generation, how long shall I be with you? How long shall I bear with you? Bring him to me. Sometimes you wonder at Jesus's words. He didn't pamper people. But yet they kept coming. And they brought him, this man, this young man. Then they brought him to him. And when he saw him, immediately the spirit convulsed him. And he fell on the ground and wallowed, foaming at the mouth. So he asked his father, how long has this been happening to him? And he said, from childhood. Now, up till now, the disciples had been casting out demons and having great success over the kingdom of darkness. People were getting healed. Miraculous healings were happening. But this particular case then came. And they could not cast out this demon. They brought him to the master. And even Jesus then didn't cast him out immediately. As that boy was brought to him and it began to convulse the body and the spirit began to tighten that boy up and he was foaming, then Jesus didn't address the spirit, but Jesus addressed the father. And he asked him, how long has he been like this? And he said, from childhood. And that's very important. Of course, then he continued and he he, he answered the question, but then he continued on and said, often it's done this and often it's done that. If you can do anything, please have compassion on us. Help us. And Jesus said to him, if you believe all things are possible to him who believes. And remember then the father cried out, Lord, I believe, help my unbelief. What I want you to see in this situation was Jesus was searching for the key to taking authority over this demon in order to cast it out. He didn't address the boy. He didn't even address the demon at first. He already knew a few things. Number one, that the disciples hadn't cast it out, even though they'd have, they had been having great success. And the father was very good at turning it back on, as many people are, and turning it back on Jesus and saying, your disciples couldn't do it, and you should have some faith. You should have some compassion. But Jesus was trying to find the root. And he said, how long has this spirit been with him? And he said, since childhood. So you need to understand that because this spirit was in this boy since childhood, when the father had dominion over this child, little children, infants, and so on, the parents have to believe for them, have to have faith for them. And so since this spirit entered that boy at that age, by directing their words towards that spirit and towards that boy, it wasn't going to the root that was going to release that spirit. But when Jesus found the root was with the father, that the father had to have the faith, Then he took an axe to the root, and then he was able to cast out the spirit. He said, the people came running, and he rebuked the unclean spirit, saying to it, deaf and dumb spirit, I command you, come out of him and enter to him no more. Then the spirit cried out and convulsed him greatly and came out of him, and he became as one dead, so that many said, he is dead. But Jesus took him by the hand and lifted him up, and he arose. And when he had come into the house, the disciples asked him privately, why could we not cast it out? And so he said to them, This kind can come out by nothing but prayer and fasting. Now because of that, many times we have people praying and fasting so that demons will come out of people. But remember what, G- what the Lord told to Paul was, My grace is sufficient. Paul was praying and fasting and God said, It's not going to help you any. You have the grace and it's sufficient. In this situation, Jesus says, It doesn't come out except through prayer and fasting. Now I just read you the record. They brought him in. He fell down foaming. Jesus spoke a few words to the father. The father spoke a few words back to Jesus. The people came running and Jesus rebuked the spirit before they could get there. How much time was there for prayer and fasting? You see my point. What was Jesus talking about? He had to be talking about prayer and fasting that he had already done, which had prepared him for this. In other words, by the prayer and fasting which he was he he was used to doing that he did in a habit in his life, the Lord his God had prepared him for situations that they'd not come up against. So when this came, he knew not to go to the boy, but to go to the father. Now, how did God teach him that? I can't say, but I know this: it came through prayer and fasting. But how did it come out then? Jesus rebuked it. He didn't say at this point, "God, please." He spoke to the demon. He spoke to the father to find out where the faith was going to need. And in his faith, with the father's approval, came together and they cast out the demon. He took dominion over that demon. He took authority over that demon. Through the grace of God, that demon was cast out and never to come back, he said. The wisdom to do that came when he was in his time of prayer and fasting, but it came out in an instant. So to understand, there is a solution to every demonic problem, even if it doesn't seem to be apparent to us. By prayer and fasting often, it will be revealed to us, but then we have got to carry out the authority and take dominion over the works of darkness. Somebody has to take dominion over that devil. You cannot cast out Satan with fear. It says in 1 John 4:18, perfect love casts out fear. By understanding and having been taught of the Spirit even before going into a situation, then we don't have fear. Fear of failure is a form of fear. We have to go in with confidence. And the only way we can have confidence, really, truly, in situations that we're not familiar with, is to go in faith with love. The faith energized by love. So that perfect love will cast out fear. And then, by the authority of God and grace, we can cast out demons. Understanding God's word will bring us peace in any situation we may be faced with. Let's look in, in Luke chapter 11. We'll begin in verse 14. And it says, And he was casting out a demon, and it was mute. So it was, when the demon had gone out, that the mute spoke, and the multitudes marveled. But some of them said, He casts out demons by Beelzebub, the ruler of demons. Others testing him sought for him a sign from heaven. But he, knowing their thoughts, said to them, Every kingdom divided against itself is brought into desolation. And a house divided against a house falls. If Satan also is divided against himself, how will his kingdom stand? Because you say, I cast out demons by Beelzebub. And if I cast out demons by Beelzebub, by whom do your sons cast them out? Therefore, they will be your judges. But if I cast out demons with the finger of God, surely the kingdom of God has come upon you. When a strong man, fully armed, guards his own palace, his goods are in peace. But when a stronger than he comes upon him and overcomes him, he takes from him all his armor in which he trusted and he divides the spoils. He who is not with me is against me. He who does not gather with me scatters. When an unclean spirit goes out of a man, he goes through dry places seeking rest and finding none. And he says, I will return to my house from which I came. You see, the demon considers the human body a house. A demon is a... Spirit that has been removed from a body. So he's searching for a body. And he wants that house. He considers it his, his property. And so in this situation, he came out and he came back. He says, I'll return to my house. And when he can't comes, verse 25, he finds it swept and put it in order. This lets us know that for a demon to come in, there has to be some preparation. They cannot come in at their will or everybody on the face of the earth would have a house full. (laughs) It's got to be prepared. Something has to be done to prepare. Many times the devil who comes to steal, kill, and destroy will prepare that house, perhaps through abuse, perhaps through words, perhaps through drugs or alcohol, perhaps through trauma, perhaps through weakness. But something will occur in order to prepare for that spirit to enter that house. Remember, God says that we are a temple, a house for him to dwell in. He wants to fill this house. The devil wants to counterfeit that. Either way, it needs to be prepared. When we speak to people about salvation, it needs to be prepared for them to receive the Lord Jesus. Well, in verse 26, Then he goes and takes with him seven other spirits, more wicked than himself. And they enter and dwell there. And the last state of that man is worse than the first. Now I'll tell you, this little section talks about a person that has a problem with a demon. And then Jesus is speaking about how it needs to be prepared. But then he says also, when this demon came out, he came back. And because it was prepared, that man was worse off when that spirit came back. Seven times worse than he was beforehand. And as I said before, perfect love casts out fear. You can't cast out Satan with fear. And so many people read this record and fear comes into them. Because after all, when they cast a demon out, they don't want that person to be worse off in the end. They want that person to be better off. And so many people are afraid to try or afraid to truly do it with authority and faith because of a misunderstanding of these scriptures. But one of the rules for letting the Word of God interpret itself to us is scriptural progression. And that is that verses must harmonize with other verses on the same subject. And sections of scripture may contain information which is not elsewhere, as well as it may contain information that is repeated elsewhere. So let's look at this record written in another book, in Matthew chapter 12, and in verse 22. It says, Then one was brought to him who was demon-possessed, blind and mute, and he healed him, so that the blind and the mute both spoke and saw. Because this says it was blind and mute, does that mean in the other record where it says he was mute, was wrong? Now, it could be a similar record, or it could be identical. We're going to look, and we're going to continue and see which. But there would not be any contradiction if one were to leave something out. Verse 23, And all the multitudes were amazed and said, Could this be the son of David? Now, when the Pharisees heard it, they said, This fellow does not cast out demons except by Beelzebub, the ruler of demons. But Jesus knew their thoughts and said to them, Every kingdom divided against itself is brought to desolation, and every city or house divided against itself will not stand. Now Jesus said that 2,000 years ago, but it seems like the devil might have been listening more than the people of God, because we have allowed the devil to come in and cause us to fight against one another instead of fighting against the principalities and powers that we're supposed to wrestle against. So the enemy has learned this, and he has come and used this against us, and yet Jesus is the one that's teaching his people... We of all people, if we're going to be believers, should learn our lessons from our teacher, and then we should believe them with faith and walk out trusting in them. Therefore, we would understand that if we would remain united, then the kingdom cannot fall. And rather, our unity would be that which would cause division in the kingdom of darkness, which will fall. And in verse 26, if Satan casts out Satan, he is divided against himself. How then will his kingdom stand? And if I cast out demons by Beelzebub, by whom do your sons cast them out? Therefore they shall be your judges. But if I cast out demons by the Spirit of God, surely the kingdom of God has come upon you. Or how can one enter a strong man's house and plunder his goods, unless he first binds the strong man, and then he will plunder the house? Then he continues, and he goes through a number of different subjects. But he starts with this, he who is not with me is against me now we read that before we read that in Luke eleven twenty three. but from that point Jesus went directly into when the unclean spirit goes out he seek, he goes through dry places and he comes back with seven of his friends but see this is a, a dividing line which is a good point for us to look at because in Luke 11 he continued right on with the subject of what a demon does but not in Matthew 12 He says here, if I cast out demons by the Spirit of God, surely the kingdom of God has come upon you. Or how can one enter a strong man's house and plunder his goods unless he first binds the strong man, then he will plunder his house. Speaking of the house being a human being and the strong man being a demon. So if he binds that demon, handcuffs him, so to speak, takes authority over that demon... Then he is able to cast that demon out and plunder the house, means to clean that house, take the devil out of that house. Redeem it, in reality. Well, then he continues. After he says, who is not with me is is against me. Then he goes on and he talks about subjects like blasphemy against the Holy Spirit. He calls them a brood of vipers. He talks about the good treasure of the heart. He talks about being uh, being, uh, accountable for every idle word. He talks about the sign of the prophet Jonah. He talks about the queen of the south rising up in judgment. And then in verse 43, he says, When an unclean spirit goes out of a man, he goes through dry places seeking rest and finds none. And when he says, I will return to my house from which I came. And when he comes, he finds it empty, swept and put in order, prepared. Then he goes and takes with him seven other spirits more wicked than himself. They enter and dwell there. And the last state of the man is worse than the first. So shall it also be with this wicked generation. The reason I read both of those to to you is because it's very important to understand that we're talking about two different situations. We're talking about two different demons. In Luke 11, it's not apparent. Jesus speaks about casting out a demon, and then he goes right into the subject of a demon leaving of its own accord. But it's not as clear to us as it is in Matthew. Because in Matthew it's very clear in verse 28 and 29, he's talking about casting out demons by the power of God in order to bind the strong man and take his house from him. And then he goes through a number of unrelated subjects and comes back to the subject of demons and says, when an unclean spirit goes out of a man, this is a situation we can see more clearly that when Jesus talks in Matthew about the second spirit, that spirit was never cast out. It doesn't say it was cast out. It's not in the same context of casting out demons. It's in the context of that spirit choosing to leave his house and coming back with his friends who are more wicked than himself. If a person has a demon and has the problems that are associated with it and allows that demon to reign and rule and does not contain himself in any way or control himself in any way, doesn't do battle with that demon, that demon will leave and come back because it will be prepared for a worse state than what it was. But that's a person... That's without God. That's a person who's not seeking the Lord and has no one to bind the strong man. And it's a person whose demon has left of its own accord. Unlike the earlier one where Jesus said, if I cast out demons. So we need to understand these are two separate incidents that Jesus is teaching us about for our understanding. Because by not understanding these as two separate demons... In two separate situations, the devil has been allowed to bring fear into those who would otherwise cast out demons by faith and by authority. So you need to understand, if you come into a situation and you believe that there's a demon that you need to take authority over, take authority over that demon and cast him out. Certainly, you want to fill that person with the Holy Spirit. You want to teach that person about what, whatever situation the Lord may reveal to you that will fill that void that where the enemy was once inhabiting. However, you don't have to be afraid about seven more coming back. Even if that person should choose not to change, and at a certain point in time, uh, that demon might come back, there does not mean that he's going to come back with more. Because that would take time and it would take preparation for him to bring his friends, as we saw. It has to be swept and clean. It has to be prepared. But you have to understand, if you cast out a demon, then you have given that person a chance for salvation in that situation, which they may never have had, had not somebody come who believed that they could cast out demons because they were a believer. That they had authority because Christ indwelled them. And that they had the understanding that it's by faith, through that grace of God, that you can have authority over the devil. If you walk in love with faith, without the fear, we can cast them out. Does that mean that every situation is going to be simple? Not necessarily. There may be those times when you have to go back and pray. And find out where the root is. Where is the the hole in the door for the key? But you have to understand you have the keys. They've been given to us in Christ Jesus, and they come through love, which is energized by faith. Let's look at Matthew chapter 4. When Jesus was in the wilderness being tempted of the devil, the devil said to him, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down, for it is written, He shall give his angels charge over you, and in their hands they shall bear you up, lest you dash your foot against a stone. And he said to him, it is written again, you shall not tempt the Lord your God. Remember, Jesus could come back with the scriptures and he could say, it is written, because he knew what was written. And that word of God gave him authority over the devil. He knew the scriptures well enough that everything he quoted to the devil when he was in the wilderness being tempted came out of the book of Deuteronomy, which was the time in which the children of Israel were being tested in the the, the, uh, desert when they were in the wilderness. So therefore, he in his mind went back into his heart where he had hid the scriptures. And from that depth and from that wisdom, he pulled out the same wisdom which they were to use when they were in the wilderness. Sometimes they did it, sometimes they didn't. But nevertheless, what they did was for his learning. And he walked in power and walked in might and was able to say, It is written, Satan, don't tempt the Lord your God. He came back every time with the authority that it took to resist the devil. Wow. Verse 8, Again the devil took him up to an exceeding high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. And he said to him, All these things will I give to you if you will fall down and worship me. Then Jesus said to him, Away with you, Satan, for it is written, You shall worship the Lord your God, and him only will you serve. And then the devil left him. What did he say? Lord, please move the devil out of this wilderness. Lord, please get the devil away from me. Father in heaven, please move the devil. Father in heaven, help me, I'm weak. Help me, Father. I've been fasting. I've been without food or water, please. No, he said, away with you, Satan. He spoke to the devil. And what did the devil do? He obeyed. Do you think the devil wanted to obey? I don't know (laughs) I know what the devil wanted was victory over Jesus but when he spoke the words get away he cast the devil out of that situation out of that place and angels came and ministered to him it may well have been the angels coming in that pushed the devil out whatever method is used in heaven I can't say but I do know this it comes by the finger of God because Jesus said it comes by the power of God because Jesus said but it came when he spoke the word, saying it was, it is, it is written, gave Jesus authority to withstand the temptation. Saying, get out of here, devil, gave him authority to remove the cause, the source of the temptation. It's going to be the same with us. We're going to have to speak to the sickness. We're going to have to speak to the darkness. We're going to have to speak to the evil. We're going to have to take dominion over the demons. We have got to do it. Now we may pray for wisdom. But don't confuse praying for the wisdom with using the wisdom by the authority which God has given to you. Because remember, if you will step out in faith, use the authority which God has given you, then His power will accomplish the job. You and I don't have the power to cast out a demon, but we have the authority to energize God's power, and His power will do the job. Amen? Wow. <laughs> We've got to resist. Sometimes we need to tell the devil where to go. In Matthew chapter 8, just a little lesson about authority. Now when Jesus had entered Capernaum, a centurion came to him, pleading with him, saying, Lord, my servant is lying at home, paralyzed, dreadfully tormented. That's one thing the devil does, is torments. And he said to him, Jesus said to him, and I will come and heal him. The centurion answered and said, Lord, I'm not worthy that you should come under my roof, but only speak the word, and my servant will be healed. For I also am a man under authority, and having soldiers under me. And I say to this one, go and he goes, and to the other, come and he comes, and to my servant, do this, and he does it. And when Jesus heard this, he marveled and said to those who followed, Assuredly, I say to you, I have not found such great faith, not in all of Israel. And the servant was healed. You see, that centurion gave a great example, which Jesus said showed great faith. And it was a great example of what true authority is. That centurion said, I say this to one of my men, and he goes and does it. He does it with my authority. When I say for him to do it, I expect him to do it. So Jesus, if you'll just say to that sickness, leave, I know it will leave. He he didn't give the example of praying for his soldier to go do something. He told the soldier to do something. And he would do it. And Jesus said, this is a great example. Shows great faith. And it teaches us about authority. We need to understand if we have authority, we need to use that authority. We don't ask for something that's already been given to us. We may need to be taught how, but we don't ask for what has already been given. That shows either lack of understanding or lack of faith. Now, another way... That we need to know how to take authority over evil is how to endure temptation. And in James chapter 1. My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into various trials. Knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience. But lest patience have its perfect work. That you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. Remember, we began by talking about being perfected. That the man of God may be perfected. That we might be complete like a ship that's completely outfitted, ready for its journey. The Word of God has been given to us, and the understanding of Scriptures has been given to us that we would be perfected in the things of God, and that we would be complete in His calling and what He has given to us. And James is saying he wants patience to have the perfect work. Jesus said it's by your patience you possess your souls. Anyone who told you that being a Christian was easy must not have been a Christian, or must not have been an overcomer at least. Because it's not always easy. It's not always hard, but it's not always easy. And sometimes it is hard because you need to persevere. You can't become an overcomer if there's nothing to overcome. If you're going to be an overcomer and have the rewards of an overcomer, then you're going to have to have obstacles over which you take dominion. As we, through our patience and growth, perseverance, sticking with it, being discipled, disciplined to the job, To the task which we have been given, we can be perfect, lacking nothing. And if any of us lacks wisdom, let him ask of God, who gives to all liberally and without reproach, and it will be given to him." Now remember, in order to interpret Scripture properly, we have to take things in their context. Now I know this verse is true when we quote it separately. If any man lacks wisdom, let him ask of God, who gives liberally. I know God loves to give wisdom if we'll ask, right? The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. If we'll have the fear of God, that will open up the doors for us to receive wisdom. But what I want you to see here is the context of this. Count it all joy when you fall into various trials and temptations, knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience. Becoming complete through the testing and the trials that we go through, the temptations that we go through. The key to understanding this wisdom is the context. What kind of wisdom is being spoken of here? The kind of wisdom that gets us through our trials without sinning. So if we're in a temptation, if we're in a situation in which we're being tried, we're being tested, we're being pressured, go to God and ask Him for the wisdom. What kind of wisdom? The kind of wisdom that will get you through that temptation without sin. By getting through temptations without sinning, you grow in authority over the devil. You see, we... Potentially have all authority over the devil when we're saved. But it takes growth and understanding. It takes perseverance. It takes patience. It takes faith to act that out. We need to learn. We need to grow. And that takes time. We need wisdom. We need God to show us the details of every situation. And we know that He'll give us all things that pertain unto life and godliness through His Word and through His Spirit. If we lack the wisdom, let him ask of God. That's what Jesus did when he prayed and fasted. He was asking God, and God prepared him for a situation which was still ahead, which he'd never encountered before, and neither had his disciples. But he had the victory through that wisdom which was given liberally to him. But let him ask in faith, not doubting, for he who doubts is like a wave of the sea driven and tossed by the wind. For let not that man suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord, He is a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. Remember, God resists the proud, but He also rewards the faith and the faithful. So by faith, we go to God, we ask for wisdom, knowing that He will give it to us. Don't doubt. Doubt defeats God's promises in your life. It says in verse 12, Blessed is the man who endures temptation, for when he has been approved, he will receive the crown of life which the Lord has promised to those who love Him. Remember, Jesus said, If you love Me, you will keep My commandments. People will know if we love God, and we will know if we love God by what we do. If we keep His commandments, not if we want to keep His commandments, not if we desire to keep His commandments, not if we pray to keep His commandments, but if we keep His commandments, we love Him. Now we all fall short. In those places where we fall short, we need wisdom. If we'll go to God for the wisdom, He'll give it to us. We will endure the temptation, we will pass the test, and we will then walk in love in that area because we'll keep His commandment in that area. It's a continual growth process of becoming an overcomer, of growing up in all things unto Him who's the head, even Christ Jesus. That we would no longer be children tossed to and fro. It's a process. We have to be committed to that process of growing up unto Him. If we think that it's always going to be easy, we will be so disappointed that we won't stand when pressures come. On the other hand, if we expect every day to be a torment, then we will not look forward to being a Christian. We won't expect victory, and we will likewise be so burdened down, we will never be able to walk in victory. We need to understand that Christianity is a walk, and it is a process. And in the process, there are hills and there are valleys, and we will go through both, and He will go through them with us. And in every situation, whether it's a high point or whether it's a low point... He will give us the wisdom to endure the temptation to endure the test that we might be an overcomer. Each time we overcome a situation that we've not overcome in the past, we are given more authority in a practical sense. See, in a spiritual sense, we have all authority in Christ when we're born. It's potential authority. But when we actually work it out and walk in faith and take dominion over the things of darkness, then we receive authority in the practical sense then it's our choice to continue to walk in that and to grow. And if we love Him, we'll continue to keep His commandments. Now, this is the second time we've read about a crown. And just briefly, there are five crowns available to the believer. If you walk faithfully, there are rewards in heaven. Crowns which come by that same grace of God, which is sufficient to take authority over the devil, but is also sufficient to lay up rewards for us in heaven. And we receive those by being faithful in the Christian walk. The crown of incorruption or the imperishable crown is for disciplining ourselves, exercising self-control in all things and being temperate and following the rules that God has set down. The crown of rejoicing is for bringing people into the kingdom of God. The crown of righteousness is to all who have loved his appearing and lived their life accordingly. The crown of glory is for shepherding the flock of God For gathering the people of God. You know, as we said before, the glory of God was given to us and by unity it is manifested. So there's a reward for those that help bring others into unity. And the crown of life is for the man who loves the Lord and endures temptation. So there are rewards for us beyond the fact that we have persevered. But we actually have a crown awaiting for us because we have endured temptation. That's why James could say, to count it all joy when you fall into various trials. He didn't say the trials were joyous. He said to count it joy when you're entering in, because you're going to have a, a crown laid up for you, a crown of life laid up for you as you endure those trials. He also did not say to enjoy the trials to, and go look for them. They'll come. Jesus said, sufficient unto the day is the evil of, to prepare ourselves ahead of time and to know. But he said when we fall into various temptations, not when we place ourselves in harm's way. Now he says in verse 13, Let no one say when he is tempted, I am tempted by God, for God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he attempt himself tempt anyone. I like to say sometimes, just by way of explanation, the difference many times between a test and a temptation is our reaction to it. If we fail it, we realize it was a temptation. If we pass it, we can call it a test that we passed. So when we get into situations and there's temptations, we can look at it as a test that we can pass if we'll go to God for the answer, for the wisdom. God tests us, but He does not tempt us. We don't necessarily know what is going on until we're through it. But we do know this, any of God's tests, He will give us the answers to if we'll go and ask Him, because James says He'll give us the wisdom. That's the answer to the situation. That's the wisdom, the understanding that we need to get through any situation without sinning. But each one is tempted when he is drawn away by his own desires and enticed. What draws us away? Our own desires. See, the devil entices us through the lusts of our flesh, through the things of our flesh. He entices us and draws us away. Jesus prayed, not my will, but your will. We need to have hit the same heart that Jesus did. We need to imitate Jesus Christ and pray, Lord, not my will, but your will. If we pray his will, not our will, and we practice that in our lives, the devil will have a much harder time enticing us by our own desires, because we're making our desires secondary to the Lord's. Then when desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin, and sin, when it is full grown, brings forth death. Do not be deceived, my beloved brethren. Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above. And comes down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow of turning. Of his own will he brought us forth by the word of truth, that we might be a kind of first fruits of his creatures. So then, my beloved brethren, let every man be swift to hear, slow to speak, slow to wrath. For the wrath of man does not produce the righteousness of God. Therefore, lay aside all filthiness and overflow of wickedness and receive with meekness the implanted word which is able to save your souls. To receive with meekness that implanted word, as we've talked about before, the word of God which we can apply, that we have planted it deep in our heart, that it has begun to grow and bear fruit, that we live it and walk it out. Not that we only just know it in our heads, but that we are known by it in our walk. That we are tested. And yet we count joy in the test, not that we would glory in the testing, but that we would count joy that as we pass each test, the Lord is accounting unto us a crown of life. We need to, in our walks, make decisions on what we will do and what we will not do. We need to do what is prudent and what is profitable, not what is permissible. Don't say, what's the harm in it? Ask What's the good in it? Set your standard high. Because if we love the Lord, we will keep His commandments. Psalm 119, beginning in verse 97. As we've said, every verse in Psalm 119 mentions the Word of God in one former manner. Oh, how I love your law. It is my meditation all the day. You, through your commandments, make me wiser than my enemies, for they are ever with me. I have more understanding than all my teachers' for your testimonies are my meditation. I understand more than the ancients because I keep your precepts. I have restrained my feet from every evil way that I may keep your word. I have not departed from your judgments for you yourself have taught me how sweet are your words to my taste, sweeter than honey to my mouth. Through your precepts, I get understanding. Therefore, I hate every false way. Your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. I have sworn and confirmed that I will keep your righteous judgments. By placing that word in our heart that we might not sin against him. By knowing his word, by keeping it before us. By vowing to God, but also confirming it in our walk. We will have victory in every situation. And we will grow up in the things of God. Christianity is a process. It only begins with being born again, but it's a process of continually growing up in all things to the head. It's a process of continually helping our brothers and sisters also to grow up. Of receiving from God, but also giving because it's more blessed to give than to receive. We need to receive, but every one of us should work so that we have to give wherever there's a need. That we would ask God for wisdom so that we might pass a test, but then to pass on that information to others to help them along the way also because Christianity is a lifestyle of living and giving. In Romans 5, verse 1, Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom also we have access by faith into the grace in which we stand and rejoice in hope of the glory of God. And not only that, but we also glory in tribulations, knowing that tribulation produces perseverance and perseverance character and character hope and you know that faith comes from hope so in our tribulations which come as a matter of course you don't have to be a Christian to have tribulations anyone on the face of the earth is going to have tribulations but a Christian has the resources to overcome every single one if we'll go with God we will come through them only Christians are rewarded for overcoming in every tribulation Only Christians are rewarded for not giving in to sin. It says that Moses chose to give up the pleasures of sin. If there were no pleasure in sin, people wouldn't sin so easily. We need to give up the pleasures of sin for the rewards of eternity. We need to give up the pleasures of sin by a conscious act and perseverance so that we'll have more authority on earth. The love of God will motivate us to build the faith to take dominion in every situation. To walk in perseverance through every tribulation will build character in us and we will manifest the character of Christ. It will build hope for us because we'll have a joy and a crown and that hope will produce faith because faith is the substance of things hoped for. First Corinthians 10, 13 and 14. No temptation has overcome you except such as is common to man. But God is faithful who will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able But with the temptation will also make the way of escape, that you may be able to bear it. Therefore, flee. Now, it says we all have temptations. Sometimes we feel like we've had harder ones than others. Sometimes we feel like the ones that we've succumbed to, and that have caused us to sin. Perhaps if another man had those, they would have given in sooner. One thing I do know is that there's not any temptation that comes before any any Christian that God does not have a way out for them if they'll ask. That's not to say that you can't put yourself in a situation that's difficult to come out of. But as you walk, you'll come into enough tribulation even by Him guiding you. Jesus prayed, lead me not into temptation. There are some times when we are disobedient and we end up like the prodigal son where we are living with the pigs. We've lost everything. Even then, God will give us a way out. But in our daily walks, if we'll pray, lead me not into temptation, every situation, if we'll pray, God will keep us from sinning. He will give us a door that we can go through, which will get us out of the way which leads to the inevitability of sin. He will show us the way, and we can take authority by walking through it. If we have that way out, it says we can flee. We have to take the action, however. If we pray and God shows us the way out, if we refuse to leave, what's the inevitable thing that's going to happen? We're going to sin. We're going to give in to sin. So we need to understand there is a way. He'll give us the wisdom, but then we need to take action on that wisdom. When Joseph was tested in a situation with Potiphar's wife and she enticed him and enticed him, finally she came and she actually physically assaulted him and it says he fled. When Paul talked to Timothy, he said, flee youthful lusts. That is a godly action, to flee those things. That does not show that the devil has more authority than you. That shows that you are willing, by obedience to God's word, to take authority over his situation. Because there are certain situations we should not be in. And that is God keeping us above the things of the enemy. Hebrews chapter 4, 13 through 16. And there is no creature hidden from his sight. But all things are naked and open to his eyes, of him to whom we must give an account. Seeing that we have a high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession. For we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but was in all points tempted like we are, yet without sin. It's not that he sympathizes with our weaknesses and says, oh, that's okay, you sinned. It's that he sympathizes with our weakness and says, yes, I was tempted like that also, and here's what I did. And here's how I got out of that temptation. And here's how I took dominion over the devil in that situation. He has a high priest, yes. He can make atonement for us as he has, and we can go to him for grace and forgiveness. But also, he has been tempted in all points like we are, and never sinned so he can reveal to us the door to go through to get out of the temptation. So that we can resist the devil and the devil will flee. So that we will then rise up with more and more authority that we might walk in his light. We'll have the armor of light and the authority over all the principalities and powers and mights where the Lord may have us. Let us therefore come boldly to the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. What is it that we need to get through the temptation? Grace. What was it that God told Paul to use for the messenger of Satan? Grace. How do we get grace? By doing what the word says to get grace. Humble ourselves. Come boldly to the throne. Receive mercy. Receive the forgiveness so that then we can receive the grace that we need. We see, receive the grace by placing ourselves in a position to receive the grace. We make the choice. Humble ourselves before the Lord. Come to him boldly and ask for that grace which is ours by inheritance. But then we use that grace to take dominion over the enemy on earth. We have to come boldly. We have to take the action, but God gives the grace. First Peter 2, 1 and 2. Therefore, laying aside all malice and all deceit, hypocrisy, envy, and all evil speaking, as newborn babies desire the pure milk of the word that you may grow thereby. I would just like to encourage everyone to continue to grow in the things of the Lord. This has just been a foundation which we have tried to lay. Every Christian needs to avail themselves of the things which the Lord has, uh, makes available unto them that they may grow and continue to grow. That they may grow first by milk, then by the bread of life, that they can grow up and eat meat and receive manna from heaven. That they would be able to grow in the things of God. Each of us has that choice. In our physical bodies, we grow according to the DNA and so on that we've inherited in our body. That's the potential. And then by feeding... In time, we grow with exercise and so on, but what we feed on affects how we grow. In the spirit, it's no different, except in the spirit, time has much less of an effect. We can choose how we're going to grow, how fast we're going to grow, and in what direction we're going to go. So I would exhort you to make a covenant with God that you want to be taught of Him to grow up in all things, to be led of Him to continue to build upon that great foundation, which is Jesus Christ, which is the rock which cannot be shaken, that we would receive that which is pure, and that we would help our brothers and sisters also to grow. Now in James 1, verse 21, it says, Therefore lay aside all filthiness, and overflow of wickedness, and receive with meekness the implanted word, which is able to save your souls. But be doers of the word, and not hearers only, deceiving your own self." For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is a man observing his natural face in a mirror. For he observes himself and goes away and immediately forgets what kind of man he was. But he who looks into the perfect law of liberty and continues in it and is not a forgetful hearer but a doer of the work, this one will be blessed in what he does. You see, we need to not only have the conviction in our heart and the desire in our heart, but we actually need to walk it out. While we may think we've heard things that we could never forget because they burn within us, yet the Bible says if we don't continue in that perfect way, we will be forgetful here because we remember as we go. David wrote, I will not forget all your benefits. We can't remember them all at any one time. and It's a good thing he doesn't ask us to remember them all. But he said, I don't forget all your benefits. We have to have them before us. And as we walk, we'll find the need for more, and as we need more, God will supply more. It's a process of growth, and if we'll put ourselves in it, God will supply. If we'll walk with him, we'll understand that Christianity is a walk of a child with his father, and it's a family working together, that we as the church might show the manifold wisdom of God now. I'd like to end with this poem, called Sermons We See by Edgar Guest. I'd rather see a sermon than hear one any day. I'd rather one should walk with me than merely tell the way. The eyes a better pupil and more willing than the ear find counsel is confusing but examples always clear. And the best of all the preachers are the men who live their creeds for to see good out in action is what everybody needs. I soon can learn how to do it if you'll let me see it done. I can watch your hands in action but your tongue too fast may run. And the lecture you deliver may be very wise and true, but I'd rather get my lessons by observing what you do. For I might misunderstand you and the high advice you give, but there's no misunderstanding how you act and how you live. I believe if we will commit ourselves to the Lord, make a conscious decision that we want to build a life which is worth living, one that is worth showing to others, none of us will be perfect. We'll all stumble, and we'll all fall from time to time. Hopefully we're with others that will help us get out, but the Lord will never leave us or forsake us. And always he will be there to give us a helping hand to help us to continue to grow, to continue to water that Word which has been implanted within us, that we could be perfected and grow up, not being children which are tossed to and fro, but that we can stand firm on the rock, Jesus Christ, and having Done all, we can stand in that place. We can stand, we can be washed with the water of his word, and in the end, we will be rewarded for having lived a life in accordance with what the Lord Jesus has shown us, what the apostles and prophets have written for us, and we will have shown ourselves faithful in the end. I'd like to pray. Father, we're grateful for your goodness and your grace and having sent your Son, Jesus Christ, to live that perfect life, even now as an example unto us. We're so thankful for his sacrifice on the cross, which gave us not only redemption from sin, but also access to you, Father. And now that we have access to you, we pray for that perseverance and that hope and that vision that we could grow, that we can continue to desire that sincere milk of your word and also that we would grow to, to eat the meat of that word, that your words would be the desire of our heart and that by standing with you, we would learn in this life that we can have dominion in all things, that we can walk in faith and be pleasing unto you, and that not only will you bless us now with such abundance that we would always have to give where there's a need, but that also, even in that time to come, in eternity, that we would have rewards stored up where moth and rust does not corrupt and where thieves do not break through and steal, but that place in eternity we will even then have stored up so that we can have to give. All through the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen.